Welcome to the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast, the show focused on the strategic disruption of the status quo in technical organizations, communities, and events. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Hashtag Call to Scene podcast. I have a very good friend of mine, Melanie Crutchfield, with me, and um I'm not going to say anything else. I'm going to let her introduce herself. And then we're going to talk about why it's important to cause a scene, how it's important, how she's causing a scene. And then we're going to get into some really interesting conversation. So Melanie, take it away. (laughs) That's a, a great intro. And yes, we will get into interesting conversation like we always do. Um, So, yes, Melanie Crutchfield is my name. I am a Django developer. Um, I've been working in tech for about three, four years or so, Um, involved organizing my local Pi ladies. Um, I'm a co-organizer of the San Diego Python user group. Um, This last year, I've had awesome opportunities to speak at DjangoCon and North Bay Python and uh, Pi Tennessee. Um, and I just taught at PyCon US. Um, so there's all this fun stuff. Um, I'm also a huge mental health advocate um, as I have a major depressive disorder and epilepsy and migraine. <laughs> Those last two aren't related to mental health disorders, um, <laughs> but they're a ton of fun. So I've got that going. Um, I spend a lot of time trying to um, demystify and um, normalize mental health issues because we, we like to be afraid of them and shame people and then people don't get treatment. It's a real mess. So there's that. Um, I am also an anti-racism activist. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that that's where a lot of our interesting <laughs> conversations are going to end up. I am a white woman. <laughs> cannot tell. <laughs> my very white sounding self um so if you want me to talk about any of my other weird white stuff i'm happy to i know myself it's fine all right so tell the audience why it's important to cause a scene ah this is a good question um And before you say that, I want to say uh, you, along with a, another friend, was so that some context of the audience to understand that you helped me form the idea around being disruptive in 2018 <laughs> and causing a scene. So there we go. So yeah. if you want to blame, she's partly the blame. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. That's, that's good. I mean, so I think the easiest way to, uh, for me to talk about why we cause a scene, right? Why we're mouthy, why I speak up. Um, And, you know, I try to do respectfully (laughs) and I try to meet people where they're at. Um, But the the easiest way to understand it in my mind is through protest, through what what protest looks like, right? Um, Because when you protest, there, there's the, the one way, right, where we organize it ahead of time and we have a march and that sort of thing. We stay on the sidewalk. There are other times where we block the street. 
right? And, and the difference is now I'm annoying to you. You know, now you're looking at my sign. Who is this person out here inconveniencing me as I go to get my Starbucks for goodness sakes, right? Um, and that's just different, you know? Um, and then there's always the pushback of protest, but not like that. <laughs> right like <laughs> yes yes like use your voice but but not in the street thank you very much as i mentioned i have a mocha latte waiting for me um you know protest right but not like cap not like that you know don't not in the middle of my football game please you know um there's all this stuff but that's when people pay attention mm-hmm. unfortunately because you know, in, in context of racial justice, it does not cost me anything to ignore the problem. I will go on with my day. Um, I will not be directly affected. Um, and everyone else in my position is going to have the same thing. And if you, if you don't stop and say, look, I know I'm in your way. I know this is uncomfortable, but really do we want to do we want to continue our legacy of violence? Is that what you want to give to your kids? You know, um, is that what you want to participate in? Because that's where we're at. So the other thing that we talk about a lot in um, white anti-racism. I got to stop you for right there. You're going to push back. Yeah. I'm in trouble. No, 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 I'm not <laughs> pushing back. I'm actually okay. taking a moment to breathe because that affected me and I wasn't expecting that to affect me. Mm-hmm. The fact that you can just go on with your day. Um, for you, for you, standing up for these things are a choice. Yes. Mm. <sighs> Go ahead. It's just that, yeah, that just, mm. yeah. All right. Yep. Mm. Yep. And um, I didn't understand that before, right? Realize that, and if exactly, and if you don't realize that, that's. That's the part. It's, it's just, that was just so powerful just because if you, just having that realization will tell you for yourself whether your environment, you'll be, you'll be, continue to be defined by your environment or you will change the narrative. Because at that point when you have that realization, as I always say, you can't go back once you know. And now you're making a conscious choice whether to continue moving forward, whether, mm, wow. Mm. Just, I, I, it just resonated with me, the fact that you have a choice. I know. I know. And again, Go ahead. You know, I don't want to mute myself because I want people to understand that this stuff is real. Go ahead. 
um, you know, you've been talking a lot about how privilege is access, right? Yeah. And I know that privilege is hard for people to talk about, especially if they've had uh, hard times and injuries and they look around and they think, I've had hard things. How am I privileged? One thing that I have access to is my safety. When I walk out my door, my white skin protects me. My skin has never been a liability. That is privilege. I have access to safety. You know, for me, for my family, Mm. that's privilege. Your skin tone has never been a liability. Wow. All right. So (laughs) keep going. I'm just, yeah, taking it all in. So where do we want to go next? Um, how are you causing a scene? Mm. What? So, you know, we talked a little bit about showing up for racial justice. Um, it's a national organization. Um, it's a chapter based organization. So there is surge national. Um, but then there are surge chapters all around the country. Um, I got involved with um, my local surge chapter here in San Diego. Um, I was one of the founding members. Um, and I'm pretty sure this was right after Michael Brown. Um, and it was just one of those things. I think I heard it on NPR, you know, um, that was like, you know, here's this other group. If you don't know where to start, maybe check them out sort of thing. Or, or maybe it was just an article on, on the fact that they exist. Um, but I just went, you know, I didn't know what to expect. Um, but I can contribute the vast majority of my understanding and knowledge and, um, shift of, um, being more uncomfortable or being more comfortable being uncomfortable, um, being humble in these spaces, like surge did all that for me. You know, um, I remember one of the first things that have we said exactly what the acronym stands for yet? Uh, yes. Showing up for racial justice. Okay. So, and showing up for racial justice is a, um, it's an organization. It's a, anti-racism organization that focuses on educating and mobilizing white people for racial justice, which I laugh because it's a weird space to occupy. And I get this. Um, so, but I, I mean, I can say what it's done for me and the work that we've done here in San Diego, we focus on education. So one of the first things that was said to me um, when I started showing up at surge meetings, um, that are mostly educationals, workshops, that sort of thing, um, was that it is not my fault that I'm a racist. I was born white in a racist country. It is the air that I breathe. It is our legacy as a country. I did not, there wasn't a day, right, in like fifth grade 
where they were like, white kids, would you like to be racist now? And everyone went, totally, I do. Um, Instead, again, this is our legacy. This is our country was built on the backs of black people. That happened. Um, We took forever to recognize black people as whole and valuable. That happened. And still there's this narrative, there's this, you know, people argue that about um, subconscious bias, that is a thing. I don't know what to tell you, you know, Um, we absorb the narratives of our communities. And as soon as you can recognize that and let go of the guilt and shame and the reactionary, no, of course, I'm not a racist because I'm not a bad person. Now you can make some progress, you know? How? Because this is something that comes up a lot. It doesn't happen often in my feed because, again, I stick, I'm just stepping into this race thing because I've been so focused on business and economics mm-hmm. um, internationally. But I recognize every time it's in the United States, and that's what I can speak to. I know it's happening in other countries. But in the United States, I cannot talk about improving inclusion and diversity in businesses and communities and events without talking about race. And I recognize that now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that was something I did not want to do as a black person from the South. I was like, damn, I've been dealing with race my whole life. But this is where I am. And this is where the conversations devolve into, well, they're, they're no longer conversations when someone of color, particularly a brown woman, it's usually a brown woman, um, who is challenging privilege in the status quo, and some good white person decides to interject their thoughts that not all white people not all white women that's racist they call us racist they call us all and I I, what I'm getting at here is I want you to tell me or to tell the audience what it was like to recognize that due to factors that you had no control over you are a racist and how that was to come to terms with that in such a way that you said it's not acceptable, but not only not acceptable, you chose to cause a scene about it. And take your time, because, <sighs> So guys, this is, this is a hard one for both of us, because now Melanie is, is feeling what she's feeling. And I'm not going to edit any of this, but I edit nothing because I want to be as transparent as possible. These are very hard conversations to have. And, and I'm going to, well, Melanie um, comes to terms with what she's going to say. I'm going to say, I can have this conversation with Melanie because she has shown proven to me time and time again, through the demonstration of her actions and words, that she's willing to be uncomfortable so that I can be comfortable. 
And if you're not willing to do that, you have you are absolutely of no service to me or these movements. Um, and we're going to get into more of the surge thing in the Didi Delgado article um, in a minute, where she takes white privilege and these white races, anti-racist groups to task. But I want to sit with this for a moment because friend to friend, this is a conversation that most people aren't having. And you are privileged in the way, again, using the word access, you're having, you're having firsthand access to a conversation of a black woman and a white woman talking about these very challenging subjects and not being disrespectful of each other, honoring each other's space, respecting that we are multidimensional individuals. So neither one of us, (laughs) we agreed to have this conversation, (laughs) knew that we would be crying, (laughs) Um, but that's what it is. And I feel safe with her. And I think I can speak for her that she feels safe with me. Absolutely. And because of that, you guys are getting a picture into a conversation that most people will not ever have. So I need you to honor this conversation and know the power in what we're doing and what you're being, what I'm providing you with, because these are not easy subjects to talk about. There is no, there is no one size fits all answer. These things take are going to take time. So I just really want you to talk about what it's like to recognize and to own that you are a racist. Okay. So I would not have said that I was racist when I came into anti-racism work. And, and again, that's because of guilt and shame and the, no, 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 I'm not a bad person, right? And I would, um, man, there's so much to talk about in and around this. Um, I was raised to be colorblind, right? Mm-hmm. That was a thing, yes. right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which now is, is laughable, but it, um, because you're essentially saying, I'm going to look at you and pretend that a major part of your life, your personality, your identity, your culture just doesn't exist, you know? And and not only that, I think the, the more troubling part of it and the more detrimental part of it is when we teach both brown and white kids that white, these young kids don't understand that there is a difference. Mm-hmm. And when they start experiencing it, it really fucks with the psyche. Yep. As you've been told your whole life as a brown person that we're the same, but then you see that things are different. And then what you do is internalize that because you start thinking something's wrong with me. What have I done? Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's not you, it's the system. And then for the little white kids, they start seeing these differences and there are some, because they're young, they start standing up for it, like, what is going on? But very shortly, they recognize that there is a payoff in keeping quiet and, mm-hmm. and being a part of privilege. Yeah. Uh, I didn't, 
there, when I grew up, there was like a black person at my school. Like I lived in the self-proclaimed cowboy capital of the world. There were, it, we had a lot of white people. So I didn't, I just, I didn't, that what a racist looked like to me in my mind is like somebody that uses, you know, racial slurs, Mm -hmm. um, somebody that says you're not as good because of your skin color says that out loud. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, what I didn't understand is that racism, you know, and to speak to the, (laughs) um, you know, white people, calling people of color racist because they say, Hey, look, white people, as a group, you have this problem. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then white people go, ah, that's racist because you're talking about my skin. You know, um, racism is a system of oppression and I am racist because I was raised in that system. Thank you. Yeah. And that's why, you know me, that's why I love defining terms. Yep. Um, and that is, it's not about racism is not about skin color. I remember growing up, my mom told me that black people can be racist and I didn't understand that until now we're not a part of, we're not, we don't have privileged access to the system of oppression. We are the oppressed. We're not the oppressor. Right. Right. And, you know, in my life, I've definitely had some experiences of people looking at me and being like, I don't think I like you or trust you. I see your skin. Um, I don't see that as racism. Um, I see that as, uh, there are probably reasons behind that narrative. Self-preservation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I think about, I lived in Hawaii for a time. Um, We straight up stole that land, right? And we dismantled mm-hmm. a beautiful culture. Of course, that makes me the face of the oppressor. Of course, you know? And of course, my face that has protected me, my face that... Uh, that was... I was told that my face was better, right? My skin was better. We don't say that out loud now, right? Um, And you don't have to say it out loud. It's about demonstration of behavior. Right, right. So we don't say it out loud, so we're not racist, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we do have these internalized narratives that are hard to recognize. Mm -hmm. And I I think what is more costly... Um, is when those narratives cause us to write off violence against people of color as a one-off situation, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did something. They should have followed the rules. They should have did done something. They, yeah. they, there's something they've done that deserves this kind of treatment. Yeah. Not the fact that you need to look at a system of policing that is based on a foundation of racism um, and oppression and not respecting these people as human beings. Right. I think that, that those internalized 
narratives, you know, and some of this is like, oh, look at these black neighborhoods, they have higher crime, right? If you look at, you know, all of the television commercials for um, robberies, right? Mm -hmm. And they're like, you need a home security system. What color is that? (laughs) That guy that's breaking in, right? Mm -hmm. And are we afraid of people doing white collar crimes, you know? These white collar crimes where they wipe out people's retirement, they literally ruin yes. lives. Mm-hmm. Are we afraid of those people? Do we demonize those people? You know, no. Why? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, same thing. I mean, there are so, so, so many examples. You know, the. I mean, you look at the banking scandal of 2008 that brought the whole damn economy to its knees. There was no one ever prosecuted for any of that mm-hmm. housing crisis. But every day we see some some white woman or something calling some people for barbecuing in the park or some black person at a, at a waffle house getting their ass kicked or. Right. Um, and then I am loving, I'm loving the, 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 the conversations, loving meaning I'm not, um, <laughs> the conversations of particularly around these mass shootings at these schools. Not one of these white individuals have been killed and they are armed and killing people. Mm-hmm. And, not, and when the narrative comes out, their parents or whomever, no one says that they've been radicalized. No one says that they're, um, they're, uh, it's always some misunderstood young white person who has been treated poorly by a female or by somebody. It's always this thing that you can explain around, but they're mm-hmm. still living. Mm-hmm. And... Um, but someone who steals a, I, oh my God, I just read someone, these some shoplift or something. And these two women took off in the car and you shot, they shot into the fucking car, mm-hmm. but you can, but you, and this was shoplifting, whatever they were, they caused no one any harm that I can remember. They right. didn't, they didn't, it wasn't a robbery. It was shoplifting. And yet these young men are not only, have access to guns, which is a whole nother thing. So that's why I don't talk about politics, but I have to talk about it in this context based on what you just said, because they have the intention to harm. Yeah. And a strategy to harm. Yep. And they can walk away alive. Right. And I think this is again, where these are internalized narratives where you even look at, at how, you know, the, when we talk about police violence, um, lots of these scenarios, you know, the officers say that they were afraid for their lives. Um, but you're not and, afraid of a person who just killed 10 to, or more people at a, at a school right. to come across them. You're not afraid of them because you, right. you have an affinity for them. Right. But Tamir Rice baby mm-hmm. you know yeah if y'all haven't heard that story please you know look it up and read it um but that little baby's sitting out there playing with a toy gun and you come up in fear for your life you know there's a there's a it has to be an internalized narrative that says People of color, if your skin is dark, you are inherently more dangerous, threatening, etc. And it starts with, right? I mean, we can look at it in, you know, micro 
micro events mm-hmm. like like this, you know, I mean, I know that you experience it. This black woman disagrees with me. That's scary. Mm-hmm. Oh my God bless. Okay. Yes. Now we're talking about the, the, she's aggressive. She's angry. She's, um, she's, de- um, defiant. She's intimidating all these words that you put attached to us when we don't agree with you. Yeah. And then I don't know what popped in, what just popped in my head was the Serena Williams story of when she gave birth and, and people don't understand. Um, and she talks about because she was black as, as famous and as wealthy as she is, her health care was not, and, and again, the unconscious bias, because I'm sure those medical professionals would argue that she got the same level of treatment as a white woman. Mm-hmm. Um, but she can, but she says she did not, and it almost cost her her life. And the statistics show that women, black women, or women of color who give birth are at higher risk of having, um, post-birth complications due to these factors. And see, this is the thing that gets me. So I had a, 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 a interview someone yesterday, didn't even, had never heard of this woman in another part of the conversa- country, and she and I are having, saying the identical thing. And so mm-hmm. it's like all these people, how can this not be true? All of us can't be lying. Mm-hmm. All of us can't be exaggerating. We don't mm-hmm. even know each other. Mm-hmm. We're only coming across each other when we see something on Twitter. It's like, oh shit, I know that. That's my story too. So we can, how, why is it so it's a challenge for white individuals to, to say, you know what, I, to even just look, just to question, hey, there may be some validity in what's going on. Right. And so I can address what that was like for me. Um, first of all, <laughs> and this might sound crazy to you, I didn't realize that people of color overall have a different experience with law enforcement than I do and did growing up. Mm-hmm. I did so what, not realize what, what, that. What changed that for you? Uh, what you're describing, that I heard more than one story from a person of color saying, Here, here's what it's like for me, mm-hmm. you know? Um, one thing that blew my mind is that I, I have heard many, many stories of, of families of color. If you're raising a brown kid, um, that at some point, and typically, you know, at, at a pretty young age, most families sit down and say, look, here's how you interact with law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And it is important that you adhere to this script because if you don't, it'll cost you your life. Everyone in the hashtag called the scene community shares the same common beliefs based on a set of four specific guiding principles. One, tech is not neutral, nor is it apolitical. Two, intention without strategy is chaos. Three, lack of inclusion is a risk and increasingly a crisis management issue. And lastly, but most importantly, four, we must prioritize the most vulnerable. To find out more about the guiding principles and adding them to your Twitter profile banner, please visit hashtagcausescene.com. Now that, yeah, it was mind-blowing, A, first of all. Like, it, and I think the reason why white folks have a hard time seeing that as systemic 
as something that people, like you said, people that don't know each other having the same experience, you know, throughout the country is because it's so wildly different than my own experience. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like you're living on a planet, a planet that I don't know about, you know, but in reality, you're a block from my house, you know, or you're next door. I was about to say, you could be next door. Yeah. You're my neighbor in my same apartment complex, you know, or you could be your, your significant other. Right. Right. And I talked to, I talked to uh, a woman once, um, that she's white woman, husband's black. We started talking about some of this this stuff. And even though they were married, there was still a knowledge gap there, you Mm -hmm. know, and now she's raising her, her daughter, you know, represents black. Um, and so that's how she's going to be treated. Yep. So now there's a whole different set of parenting skills that you need. It's so funny. Mind blowing. Mind blowing. It's so funny because I said this at a very early age. Now I know and this is not arrogance. I know I was an attractive kid based on what society says is attractive. Mm-hmm. I know I was an attractive teenager and, um, you know, attractive young person, young woman. And people were mind blown, were, are, have, are blown by the fact that white men have never approached me. Because they don't, to them, I'm not their kind of pretty. Right. That's the first thing. And also, even growing up, um, I knew, and I couldn't articulate why, but I knew um, when I saw interracial relationships, because my, my mom had an interracial, she married a white guy. And I knew just watching that, that I never wanted to be in that kind of situation for the fact that I didn't even know this word at the time, the emotional labor. Mm-hmm. of being in a relationship with a white person in the United States. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe some a white person from another country, I wouldn't because they don't have the same issues. But if they come from a country that has oppressed people of color, we're going to have the same problems. Mm-hmm. Because the emotion, the fact that if I w- would have children and have to explain to them, hey, if you come to, if you're um, in this situation, this is what you need to do to keep you safe. And my husband or significant other has no way to identify with that. Okay. That would have been disheartening for me because then that's all the emotional labor I have to take on as a black woman and black women have enough shit to bear. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have wanted that to bear that in my relationship as well when we're supposed to be partners. Right. Right. And again, it's just, it's so different from my lived experience that it took a long time for it to register for the concept of not, you know, when I get pulled over by an officer, my thought, because I am a very rule following obedient Mm -hmm. (laughs) white lady my thought is like I'm gonna get a scolding right now and I'm not okay with that you know Mm -hmm. like I do or I mean at least you have that I've what about the videos we've seen with people I fuck you I'm not doing I'm I mean just total white privilege oh my god oh yeah yeah. And, and and the body camera the cop and no one's getting shot right right 
Yeah. What's your fucking badge number? Da 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 da. I'm gonna report you and it. <laughs> right. Access to safety. Yep. Mm, access to safety. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. And that leads me into ah, this surge conversation. <laughs> so I'm the good one. <laughs> yeah, because I I I I, I so. I so identify with a lot of things she put in there because it's something, a conversation I've been having of privilege not being the, the right people to lead this movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a reason why I have a League of White Men. Their mm-hmm. jobs are to protect me and to support me, but not get in my fucking way. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to clear the space, to make the safe space, the safe space safe and all these things, but they are not to speak for hashtag cause a scene mm-hmm. on my behalf. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to read you some things that, because I want these to be on record. Mm-hmm. And then we can talk about this. So this article is uh, from Didi Delgado. And the name of it is, it was in the Huffington Post, um, April 20, uh, April 4th, 2017. Whites only, um, S-U-R-G, which is Surge, and the Caucasian Invasion of, right, of Racial Justice Spaces. So I'm just going to read. So she says, if there's one thing white people don't need, it's more spaces reserved for their comfort at the expense and exclusion of people of color. Um, She also says, by creating bubbles within white supremacy where it's safe to practice anti-racism, we're... Uh, amplifying, uh, uh, we're applying, there are, we're, uh, sorry, we're implying that there are places where racism can remain unchallenged. In many ways, white anti-racism spaces serve as safety nets, protecting allies from their own un- uncertainty and the fear of failure while simultaneously keeping people of color at a distance. She also says, I believe a big reason many organizers are, reluct- are reluctant to criticize white anti-racism groups is because white-led groups have significant financial resources at their disposal. Um, Reparations cannot buy our silence. Reparations do not warrant civic um, um, uh, amenity and even thanks. That might be hard to digest, but reparations are just money owed. I'm not suggesting that good works has it been done by white folks in the fight against white supremacy, it has, or that it should stop, it shouldn't. But we cannot ignore the ways approaching anti-racism work with a white lens is is inherently flawed. But, and then she says, but there is a, there is, and this is, but there are, is no quick fix to this problem. And if you're doing this work so that you can sleep better at night, I'd ask you to remove yourself from this fight. You're not ready. If you're, if you were, you'd be sleeping worse. Isolating yourself from parts of white supremacy that make you feel icky, surrounding yourself with like-minded white people and blocking racist uh, Facebook friends is primarily done to ensure your own comfort. What I'm asking is that you make yourselves uncomfortable at every opportunity. Because unlike your discomfort, mine is not optional. And then she says, if white-led organizations insist on having a seat at the table, they better, be, they better get used to being held accountable by people of color. 
<sighs> so you, I just want your opinion. And this is not, you're not speaking for Surge National. And this is not even you speaking for Surge San Diego. But as a person who has, was working on these issues and that article came out, what, how did you feel and, and, and what did you take from it? Um, <laughs> how I felt and what I took from it are two different things mm -hmm. because feelings are tricky little bastards. Um, my first instinct, of course, right? Of course was I, that's what <laughs> me. I can't believe you're criticizing the work that I'm doing. I'm trying so hard, da, 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 da. you know, and I didn't, I didn't, say most of those things out loud because that's what I took. But what I took from it is when you stop and say, pause, let's pause on these reactionary feelings. It doesn't feel good to be criticized. Um, and this is vulnerable work, but let's dig in, you know? Um, so what I took from it, the, it, it's good stuff. Basically, she's right, you know? Um, and we, you know, locally have adjusted the way that we work over time. It's been difficult to find our way. Um, and, but what, you know, what Surge in San Diego sees as their place um, and what I see as my place also is not in leadership um, in the anti-racism movement. Um, my job is to have hard conversations with white people specifically because I understand that experience. That was my experience. Um, we do have a little bit of a feeling of like, come get your people, you know, <laughs> like what are your white people doing? That is, I mean, I'm white. Those are my people. I'm, I, that's where I belong is education there. Someone took the time to educate me and I need to reach back to do that. We also get a lot of feedback saying, as people of color, we do not want to educate you people. Go do your own work. So I, I feel like that's correct. I feel like it's not the job of people of color to inform me on my own racism and the racism of our country and how that um, affects people of color and how I'm contributing. I'm perpetuating a system of oppression and violence. That is not your job, right, Kim, mm -hmm. to say, Melanie, let's sit down and talk about all the shit I have to deal with and how you, my friend, are contributing to that. Mm -hmm. It is my job to go read a book. Mm -hmm. It is my job when, when people start saying stuff that's racist out of even out of their best intentions, it's my job to step in and say, let's think about this for a second. You know, if they're popping in on your feed, right. Mm -hmm. Then it is my job to pop in and say, <laughs> Hey, this is an interesting conversation. I'm happy to talk about with it with you. Um, and then if, if pushing happens, right, especially toward you um, or other people of color that are out there talking, I 
I feel like it's my job to be like, look, this is no, like you don't need to be attacking this person. Like I need to be uncomfortable. And if that heat comes at me, that's great. Mm -hmm. Um, If that conversation comes with me and (laughs) the conversations are awkward, sometimes heated, um, that's okay. That's my job. It's so funny that you said, said this because, and I'm just loving the access to safety because the more I speak and the fact that you, the more I speak up, the more content I create, the more I share first, I have, uh, there's this thing in my head. People just don't understand that this is not easy work for even us to do. Because we, there's, a, there's a safety calculation that we, we, we it's, it's, ooh, it's some damn, it's some algebraic equations going on in our heads. Mm-hmm. I feel safe. So let me, sh- let me run down to you what it's like to, to, to make a video for hashtag cause a scene. I do it on, with Periscope intentionally because I know that's where my, my, my fans are, my, my group of people are, who are, who've told me because they follow me that this is something that they want to hear. So I'll create that video and then I upload it to you um, to YouTube channel. And then I make a calculation of, well, before I even upload it to YouTube channel, I ask myself, is this a conversation that needs to stay in Twitter where I feel safe? And then when I choose, then I make a decision to upload it to a YouTube channel, to share it on LinkedIn or Facebook. There's a calculation there of particularly Facebook because I have, there are white friends on Facebook. How would they engage with this? Do I have to have a, I mean, there's a whole thing that I have to, a calculation I have to think about. And then what's, but what's been interesting is putting it on LinkedIn Mm. because I will inevitably get a call from a black follower or a black connection or whatever, who's asking me, Kim, are you okay? Have you taken care of yourself? Are you changing how you get, back and forth to, to your engagements so that people don't follow you. Have you, um, double, um, have you, um, uh, what's it called when you double authenticate your, 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 um, your, um, your apps and whatever, yeah. so that no one can hack into your stuff. Right. Um, when I wrote the, the video, when I did the video or, um, I don't can't remember the title exactly, but it was like, uh, have white women lost their minds Someone literally asked me, he said, Kim, you know, I have a security background. Do I need to go to events with you? Yeah. This is crazy. This is so. And so that's another reason I don't put stuff on Facebook because I don't want my family to be concerned about me. Mm -hmm. Because thankfully I can say I'm in the tech space where people are, stepping up and having these conversations. If no, for no other reason, then we have to, for business sense, we have to, because you can't create products and services for a global market from one perspective. Mm -hmm. And to be innovative and competitive in this market, you need diversity of thought. Mm -hmm. Um, So thankfully I'm in the tech space, but my family and friends don't understand that. So they just think I'm just out here putting myself at risk. Mm-hmm. And so that's a calculation I have to make when I go beyond Twitter or go beyond tech. Um, what will some person who does not like what I'm saying, how will they react? 
Right. Because they get a pass. If they decided to do something to me, they get a pass. Mm-hmm. Um, Twitter just by, and, and, and now Twitter is not going to be as safe by the, the, the new um, guidelines they have of muting people's content. If people have, if so many people have reported you, then you won't be seen or all these, even though I'm not muted, even though my, the people who follow me are looking for this content. If someone who disagrees with me has reported me, then I will be muted. And it's their way of silencing us. Right. And I'm so happy that we just had this conversation. This has been, because you just hit, it's it's access to safety. Yeah. Because there are white people who talk about these very same things, and I'm sure they didn't have to do the mental mathematical acrobatics that I have to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I, I just had this conversation with a group of people, um, and I remember asking, you know, there are a lot of white men in the room, and I remember asking, as, as a content creator, Um, you know, for speaking to the underrepresented and marginalized people in the room. I know as you create content, you know, if you're a white man, some of the push might pushback might be, I don't agree with how you wrote this code or you're stupid. You know, maybe that'll happen. If you're underrepresented and marginalized, it's a little bit more like I'm going to rape you and your family. Mm Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, like you said, there's a different calculation there. Um, and that it's just, it's the same thing as the conversation before. I cannot imagine that in the apartment next to me, they're having a discussion about how to be safe when they get pulled over by a police officer, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, as professionals... It is hard to believe that other people are calculating their safety. How do I post this and engage with people without having threats on my life or being concerned about walking outside or, you know, losing job opportunities because I'm too noisy, you know? um, And and that's one extreme. But what happens normally, and, and people laugh at this, is every person of color when we walk into the room, particularly in tech, we start counting how many other people of color are there. Mm-hmm. Because, again, access to safety. So I don't even have to be outspoken. It could be my intention never to raise my head above water. But if there are no other people of color there, I will be a target. Right. Yeah. I do that as a woman. Mm-hmm. But exactly. part of part of my work as a feminist also is understanding the magnitude of the experience of women of color compared to my experience as a white woman. It's just, you know, it's, it's a process, you know, Mm -hmm. understanding what it's like for me to be white and how that compares, you know, and as a, as a woman, as a feminist, right. You, I started out, I don't know if other people had this experience, but as a feminist, I started out, we're ladies, we're all the same, you know, we're all, we're all in this together. We all have the same challenges, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, which speaks also, to, which speaks also to the, there's no color. 
thing that you're taught as a child. Right. All, I don't see color because um, the data is showing that white women are the only women who are making gains in tech. And it's mm-hmm. because they have access to safety and access to privilege mm-hmm. um, that, w- that women of color do not. And our numbers are decreasing because, um, well, one of the things is for the first time, we all do have access to the same technologies. And, and so I can amplify my voice without your permission, wherein before you had access to all the channels of communication. Um, and, and this is my, my, my issue with Stack Overflow. And again, it's not personal. Right. But it's, you've demonstrated a level of disrespect to me as a woman of color when you choose, when I'm having, and when I'm actually tag teaming with a white woman on these issues and we're having these conversations and yet you choose to only elevate her message. Um, you, you change um, something, you change the verbiage or the understanding of something you've done um, based on my telling you it's incorrect, but you don't credit me for it. Right. Um, and the idea that, um, the very people who are excluded from that population are expected to work for free to help you fix that population, that, that platform. There are a lot of challenges I have. And the reason I, 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 they are, for, and I don't even want to use that term. They are the, the, where I'm focusing my energy is because they are the bigger play, biggest player in the field that touches all, every developer out there or, or every language, or every, plat, every framework, whatever. This is the one place that everybody goes. And to have a population that engages that is predominantly white males between the ages of 18 and 34. And also that you are approaching businesses to use your platform for hiring purposes. When now these businesses are looking at stack overflow scores Mm -hmm. that underrepresented and marginalized individuals won't have because they choose not to engage. Now you're affecting them economically because they don't have, that's a barrier. So there's a lot of issues and it's not about, it's not about personal, but what it is for me is what stack overflow, stack overflow is the example for me. Um, I have limited resources. I'm only one person. And if we can get stack overflow moving in the right direction, they can be an example for how others can do it. Yeah. Because they have so many touch points. Right. And it's really interesting that, you know, I think what's happening at Stack Overflow is what happens very frequently, which is, like I said, you know, my aha moment of saying, whoa, my experience really is not Kim's experience. Mm-hmm. It's not the same. We didn't grow up the same. Like, and a lot of that has to do with my skin color. If I was working on the assumption that our experiences were the same, right? then I'm not going to be 
I'm going to be like, why does it yeah. matter? Why are you, you picking know? on me? Mm-hmm. We, well, I mean, why does it matter if I have, if we have equal representation? Mm-hmm. Why do we, why does it matter if we have diversity? We all have the same experience. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, and that's why I challenged the whole equal thing because yes. there is no way in hell you and I can be equal mm-hmm. for me to even get, to the level of privilege you have, you need to sit down and let me get a head start, a real head start before. And that's what people don't understand what affirmative action was. No one was letting somebody, when those people of color got into those jobs, they worked their asses off. It was just, I mean, there was no, you didn't even give them a head start. You just opened the door. Right. Um, and that's what people, the, oh, you're taking from me. No, hell, we're not. What, what you're recognizing though is, that black excellence or brown excellence and what it's showing is that you're just mediocre how well you think you are is so based on privilege in your position Mm -hmm. and once we get in you can't really compete with many of us because we are so resilient we're so used to being adaptive and changing based on whatever that it's just second nature to us and this is for the first time in your lives ever you've had to play this game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, the interesting thing is that, you know, people say that um, there was this narrative for a while that, you know, uh, with feminism, right, when we talk about women making gains in the workplace, that men feel like they're losing something. Same thing with racism. If we feel that um, people of color are making gains, then as white people, we feel like we're losing something. And there was a narrative for a while that that was just a feeling, but it isn't. It's, it's a real thing. As I lose my privilege, like that's loss. You know, it, it's, a, it's a real loss. But the choice is... Again, do you, as a person, just as a human, is, do I want my legacy to be continuing oppression? Mm-hmm. I really don't. I really don't. I don't want my kids to have to come to adulthood and have the same surprise, right? Mm-hmm. What's the surprise? Oh, shit, I'm a racist. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit, I... I have been, my ignorance has, has let oppression, danger fall on other people. Mm -hmm. That's not okay. You know, it's not okay. It's, and then it's not a zero sum game. It's not a pie that we evenly split up. Mm -hmm. There are infinite opportunities. Letting me in does not compete with you. Um, letting Kim in does not compete with Melanie because Kim and Melanie don't want the same damn things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what people need to understand. And what I bring to the table, even if we have the same job, my perspective only enhances if my perspective is allowed to be act, acted on and, and, and validated, it only enhances all of us because mm-hmm. we create better with that. Right. Right. And, um, I think the one, like if I had to boil down one thing to try to convince another white person to start 
on a journey of knowledge that hopefully will also push them to action. The thing I would say is all I want to do with my life is love better. Mm. And I know that people share that and know it. And you cannot love better while ignoring the cost of race and racism in the United States. You just can't. So with that, I'm going to say thank you for being here, for trusting me, for being safe, for being vulnerable, for being transparent um, and allowing this conversation to take place. I am honored and humbled by your ability to continually allow me to push you outside your comfort zone. (laughs) Um, And I love you. I love you too, Kim. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hashtag Cause the Scene podcast. And I'd like to thank all our current sponsors of the podcast and the Hashtag Cause the Scene movement. Of course, we strongly encourage everyone to become an individual sponsor of the Hashtag Cause the Scene community. Just visit the website at HashtagCauseTheScene.com to sign up today. On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Call the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.